Welcome back to the Alessant Innovator Series. In episode 13, host April Lamont is joined by Peter Dennehy, Vice President of Customer and Market Research at Brookfield Properties Development. Peter presented earlier in the year at the New Home Trends Summit, where he spoke on migration trends and their effects on growing markets. In the episode, April and Peter dive into geographic mobility and the trends he is observing in where and why people are moving after the pandemic. In addition to geographic mobility, Peter and April discuss the introduction of millennial and Gen Z buyers into the market and how products within master plan communities are shifting around this new generation of buyers. Season two of the Alessant Innovator Series is presented by Alessant Azul, the scalable access control platform that augments your existing access control system to bring your residents seamless access to amenities and spaces in your community. Learn more by visiting alessant.com. Hello and welcome to the Alessant Innovator Series. I'm very excited today to welcome Peter Dennehy to the show. Peter and I know each other from our ULI work and I've been tracking all the wonderful research and insights that you share to, to the industry, Peter. Can we start by first having you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your role, and um, a little bit about the company you work for? Thank you so much for having me today, April. This is really exciting for me. I know we'll talk about it later. I love podcasts and it's great. It's a big, big thrill to be, to be on yours. So my name is Peter Dennehy. I'm the VP of Consumer and Market Insights at Brookfield Properties, focusing more on our land and housing business. I started my career in college. I actually had an internship at the city of Pasadena. And if any of you have been there and seen the old town development, that at that time, that was a brand new concept. And I actually was able to work on that revitalization project with some research. And it really kind of prompted, you know, I was always interested in architecture and development, and it kind of led me in the direction of, of going to work for um, a variety of market research companies, starting with RCL Co. Uh, after college. And I spent a couple of decades working for some of the largest market research companies in the country, um, RCL Co., John Burns Real Estate Consulting, uh, the Myers Group, Sullivan Group, and Zonda has had a couple of iterations over the years. But, you know, I really had a, a, um, a very wide experience with market research for all types of development. Um, I switched over to Newland about five years ago, and I was the head of their uh, market research, uh, consumer market research. And then we were acquired by Brookfield about two years ago. So I'm now in this role for Brookfield. So, um, you know, we are a land developer and home builder in North America, in both the U.S. and Canada. Um, in terms of market size, we're doing about five or 6,000 home sales uh, per year in about 14 markets across the country. Uh, about 2,000 of those are Brookfield home building sales, and then the rest are through guest builders and our land development projects. Um, you know, our primary business is entitling and developing land to create master plan communities. We build and sell lots to third-party builders, and we have our own home building operations, which now cover for sale housing, rental housing, and suburban rental. So we're we're starting um, in the direction of 
uh, where there are rental opportunities and our master plan communities will be developing them. We also participate in selective uh, strategic real estate opportunities with other builders. We invest in other builders' projects around the country. So uh, I think that's kind of the scope of what we're doing. We're building in supply-constrained markets with strong demand all across the U.S., although you know primarily focused on the east and west coast and the southern half of the U.S. I'm, I'm leaving out Canada for the moment. <laughs> Well, it, that's um, a great introduction and a great um, really sense of the scope and breadth and point of view that you you bring to the industry from that vantage point. You know, one word that um, we talked about in a prior conversation when thinking about the current market is whiplash, right? Um, certainly looking at where we were pre, during, and now post-pandemic. Can you talk a little bit more about what that word kind of brings to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, I think if we think over the last three years, there's been a tremendous um, change for consumers as they think about housing. Um, you know, we, you know, in 2020, we had uh, an immediate recession prompted by the pandemic, um, you know, which I think everyone thought would bring housing demand to a halt. And, and in fact, the opposite thing happened. Um, all of a sudden, a lot of people discovered that they wanted to be somewhere else or could be somewhere else. And so it really set off a, a huge demand for housing. Um, overlaid with, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, supply chain disruptions resulting from the pandemic. So it made it very hard for builders to build homes and for consumers to buy them. Uh, and, you know, it really set off a feeding frenzy. Now, you know, partly because of that and inflation, you know, we kind of have the opposite effect where, you know, we're using uh, interest rates, which have been historically low for a long time. You know, most a third of our buyers are millennials. They've certainly never seen interest rates at seven percent or above in their buying careers. Um, they're getting more used to. It. I think they're more used to it than they were a year ago. But um, you know, it definitely was a big change, and that's had a real impact on slowing the market down from that accelerated pace. Um, I would say, you know, I'm very optimistic now about you know about the future. We are still selling homes um, as we start this year. You, you see it reported around the country. Um, January and February have been very good from a sales point of view. They're the strongest since, you know, first quarter last year. So there are consumers still out there buying homes every day and every week. So I think that's a, that's a great place to start. It is. And um, I think there's a, some sense of collective relief in how strong the quarter has started, but still, you know, sort of guarded optimism as we right. continue to hear more about potential interest rate hikes, just as one factor. You know, um, one of the things that I know that you look at are trends, you know, and um, I heard that you made an incredibly well-received presentation at John Burns New Home Institute presentation recently. And one of the things that you talked about is, is really around geographic mobility. And what are you seeing? Um, can you share with us, Peter? Yeah. So, I mean, what I shared there specifically was about just mobility, and I think it's really a big consumer trend. Um, they're uh, at all age stages. I think consumers are kind of reinventing their lives. Um, you know, we have the Great Migration. Um, people could start. You know, we we freed up the bounds of where people could work, mm -hmm. and so that really um, made people interested in living in places they might not have considered before. Uh, we have. You know, a third of our buyers are also kind of in that downshifting generation, you know, maybe baby boomers and people in their 50s and 60s. And we saw a huge, um, you know, retire resignation, the big quit, um, retirement changes, you know, people, again, 
often wanting to be to relocate close to family or uh, to friends, but somewhere else that they were weren't living. And so I think really the big conclusion of what I presented at that John Burns thing is that you know if you look at 2019, the last pre-pandemic year, about 20% of the buyers in our portfolio were, came from out of state, uh, collectively. Um, and if you look at 21, the first year after the pandemic, about 35%, close to 35%. So that's one in three of our buyers. And that's a pretty big shift in a two, in a two year time frame, um, especially, you know, when given, you know, during some of that time, you know, there were significant lockdowns and, right. you know, there were, there were mobility constraints, but what we saw is that people really voted with their feet and, you know, they're choosing other locations to live. We're seeing new demand from California on the East Coast in our projects in Florida and the Carolinas. You know, California was not a place that came up. So, you know, it's a real exporter. In Texas, I think it's California and uh, strangely enough, Florida. So lots of migration in search of job opportunities, new living up, you know, situations, a retirement or a downshift. Um, and I think that, again, that work from home ability that um, is still kind of playing out. Yeah, and unlocking wealth, right, in in accumulated equity, even right. even still. So a lot more options, I think, are on the table for people. And do do you expect to see that increase or stay the same? I do. I do. I I think you know, un, unlike the Great Recession, you know, we saw people kind of moving to places where they could, um, where you know, because with you know, thinking about affordability or scarcity or you know, find, needing to find a new new role or a new job um, and, you know, really focusing on affordability, um, consumers are really acting out of a place of more freedom and openness. Um, you know, I think economic and technology factors are enabling people to, uh, you know, live in different places than, the, than they might have. And so I think that's, I think it will continue, mm-hmm. um, you know, particularly, um, uh, you know, once you, once you put let the genie out of the bottle, I think that uh, we'll we'll see it continue to be a trend in our projects. Yeah, and so I, I guess as you look at the landscape for the country, you're seeing uh, net importers, net exporters of, right. of residents, and how people are are moving. Is that reshaping at all the direction uh, for your planning? Well, <clears throat> I would say. No, um, I would say, you know, mainly because we had all, we, we always have focused on high growth areas. And, you know, as I, I was kind of explaining to someone the other day, you know, in the U.S., about half the states are exporting demand and half the states are importing demand. So it's, we've tended to focus on the markets that are largest and, and you know, attracting that in-migration uh, for various opportunities anyway. So I wouldn't say it's changing that fundamentally. I think we're looking at some of, we are looking at some of the newer areas, you know, while, while we might've been in a Carolinas, you know, we're, we are seeing new MSAs and new markets that, that might be on our radar screen now because they have become kind of up and coming. So, you know, a place like- have been a secondary market. Um, right. Now you see that momentum really shifting. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think we're probably broadening the number of markets that we'll look at because, you know, it's not just the top 10 or the top 15 or 20 anymore. Maybe it's the top 30, 40, 50. So I think we'll probably be looking for opportunities. I think some of the opportunities come about in that, you know, that downshifting 55 plus market, um, you know, where uh, that, you know, I, I'd say that's something, a big trend in our communities and it's probably a longer time frame. but I think 10 years ago, it was relatively rare 
in our communities to have a, a very, you know, a dedicated 55 plus product. Mm -hmm. Today, it's the majority of what we're offering. Uh, majority of our communities offer at least something, um, often a full scale, you know, Dell Webb, Shea Trilogy, David Weekly Encore um, community um, and or age targeted options. So a lot more segmentation kind of in that direction. In that product mix. Yeah, we see it um, with our work with you at River Lights. And even though um, it may not be an entitled, you know, active adult kind of area, that's your buyer, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. River Lights, you know, by the way, that's the one, one of our projects that has always attracted a lot of out-of-state buyers. It's over 50% there. And, you know, for good reason, it's a relatively small MSA, um, very popular with people who are downshifting um, from both the Northeast. And then we also see a, a BBAC, uh, people who, you know, who, who might have moved to Florida and then, you know, found that they wanted a little bit more of a four season thing and, and are coming back up towards the Carolinas. So we're getting it from, uh, we get immigration from both South and North at River Lights. Um, but yes, I think you're right. I think even, you know, we certainly have an active adult project there mm -hmm. and obviously that's hundred percent 55 plus, but even in the rest of the community about how the buyers are that. And so we just have to be very mindful of addressing their needs, even in an all ages product and community. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's a really interesting, interesting um, project and a great location. And obviously people are, are voting with their feet, right? And either right. you have your boomerang buyers or people that are, that are migrating in. So that's a very interesting trend. You know, there was some other things I know that you've been thinking about relative to buyer motivations. And, you know, you're so good at looking at different segments of the market, whether it's you know, based on generational cohorts or, you know, the appropriate product um, variability and mix there. Well, what are you seeing coming out of the pandemic, you know, early this year so far? Are there any um, of those buyer motivations that are really popping for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, our two major buyer groups would be those millennials. Mm -hmm. And even we're, we're starting to see Gen Z, mm -hmm. um, believe it or not, they're looking and in some small numbers buying. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that generation um, has been living at home, living with parents, saving money. Um, that's what at least some people suggest. And, you know, they're, 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 they're wanting to get out on their own. Um, you know, I think a suburban master plan community might work for some of those people. Um, they definitely are our buyers. Um, so we're seeing a big push, you know, particularly millennial, but I think we'll start to see Gen Z come into the communities. Um, and we will be offering, you know, that suburban rental product and build for rent type of stuff for them as well. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, as I said, you know, there's just been this tremendous growth in people um, possibly still working close to retirement, opting to retire, coming to our various projects for lifestyle amenities and um, various reasons. I, I think I alluded to it before when we ask people why they're moving, it's usually not because I want to retire. It's because I want to be close to friends and family. That's really a very, primary motivation. And, you know, obviously they can be kind of the same thing, but I think people are moving to places where they might feel a connection or want to be closer to the connections that they have. Um, in early 22, I mean, as I talk to our teams around the country, you know, what's motivating buyers right now? Housing deals. Uh, you know, if you uh, have a long view, uh, I think this is a relatively good time to buy a home. We're certainly, you know, existing home sales inventory is very low in all of our markets. 
which is, I think, causing people to focus on new homes, which are available. You know, builders really tried to ramp up production um, in 20, particularly in early 22. We, we, stopped, we stopped trying as hard in uh, the, the middle, middle of the year. But we do have some housing, you know, production that we started, you know, over the last nine to 12 months, which is out there. And, you know, um, we are, you know, I think everybody is expecting rates to stay high. Um, and, you know, I think everybody's looking, those who are willing to, 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 to go, um, who are less hesitant about jumping into the market right now, um, have some relative housing deals. Um, <coughs> jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, you know, I think that that is a huge, you know, reason why we are seeing strong sales, because the economy is still very good. Unemployment is low in all of our markets. We tend to be focused in areas that have lots of divergent job growth. And it's often in the types of infrastructure and manufacturing projects that are kind of taking root around the country, the battery projects, the trade. You know, I'm thinking of Charleston in particular. You know, there's a battery project near our project at Next. And, um, you know, we we might not focus on sexy things like infrastructure and aircraft production. But, you know, as people start traveling again, aircraft production is, is up. As people have discovered that ports became a, a log jam for shipping over the last year, places like the Port of Charleston um, have continued expansion. So we just have really dynamic job growth. Um, politics is a motivator for people. Um, you know, some, some buyers like to live in a red state, you know, where, you know, COVID policies might be less or more relaxed. Some people like the opposite. And so, you know, we hear people coming into our projects, um, you know, because uh, they want to align themselves with their worldview. Um, price point, you know, we tend to focus on markets that are a little bit more affordable relative to feeder states. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of projects in the Carolinas and Texas. So, um, you know, compared to where they're coming from, they're still able to, you know, bring equity and trade down to uh, maybe a better lifestyle. We also see that trend within a region. <clears throat> We've noticed in Florida, for instance, our project in Tampa, uh, Waterset, which is in the in the Tampa market, is attracting a, a greater number of people from the Sarasota market, which is higher priced. Uh, Sarasota is just a little bit to the south, mm-hmm. and you know is, is a popular market for retirement, but it's become a little bit less affordable. Um, you know, interest rates. Another thing is interest rates. It is creating some new landlords. We find that people are willing to move because they feel like they can just rent their old house out. Maybe they'll keep their 3% mortgage on the old house and rent it. A lot of people have become landlords. And so uh, that's, you know, you can deal with a 6% interest rate on your new house um, or maybe with a, you know, builder buy down. <clears throat> Work from home is a real trend um, in our projects. Um, I, you know, depending on how we look at it, probably over 50% of the people in many of our projects around the country are working from home, either part-time or full-time. And then I think the last thing I'd say is wellness and well-being. This seems to have become a central uh, motivation for our consumers. Um, <coughs> we're building places that they can thrive and prosper, that offer amenities, open space, and trails. And our research during and after the pandemic showed that those amenities um, are, were highly in, in, in demand with the buyers during that time. Highly used, highly in demand. I'm not going to tell you that we were, we're not putting them in before because those are the types of communities that we're building, you know, oriented to open space and trails. But it was a happy accident in that, you know, people really valued 
that amenity much more so. And we saw that. And, you know, going forward, I think we're going to put more focus on that, on some of those outdoor wellness oriented uh, amenities. Yeah. And that it seems that that is one of the, you know, maybe more positive outcomes of the pandemic is, you know, people who are looking for safe ways to get outside and to take advantage of what's nearby. And we certainly see it in our data with our clients as, as the residents are engaging with the spaces, but whether they're amenity indoor spaces or outdoor amenities, um, it is a big part of what a, you know, loving where you live lifestyle is all about. So right. that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, you mentioned attainability, and I think um, that's something that's on a lot of people's minds, you know, certainly with the um, rise in interest rates as it impacts the monthly um, outlay to, to, to move into a new home. You know, are there some nuanced things that you're doing as you look at your the diversity of product or projects um, to really think about and address attainability? Yes, I mean, I think there's can often still be a mismatch in what we're building and the depth of demand in the market. Um, you know, our surveys show that consumers are still looking for smaller, better designed homes mm -hmm. than maybe what we're traditionally offering. Um, and so they're willing to make trade-offs to live in our communities in terms of home size. Um, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of markets uh, that might have been formerly affordable or seen as attainable, Austin is a great example, yeah. uh, became much less so because of the type and character of the people that were coming to the market. <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, as we go around the country and look at our markets, we are going to have to focus on, um, you know, that finer grain segmentation, um, opportunities to develop more creative product at higher densities, um, use a variety of tools like lot widths, depths, um, and garage to kind of like build good higher density product that meets consumers where they are, both in terms of life stage and um, maybe their preference. And not everybody is a nuclear family anymore. Right. We see a much greater variety of household types and I think that some of that plays. Now, on the other hand, they want enough room to work at home and to recreate at home and to do all the things that we've become accustomed to doing at home. They want a connection with the indoors and the outdoors. They want flexible spaces that are, you know, well-designed. So, um, you know, we, we have to kind of balance all the wants and the needs and the <clears throat> what they'll live for and settle for. But I think there's a real opportunity for us to experiment with that product segmentation to improve attainability in our communities and help people deal with either an uncertain economy or interest rates that are a little bit uh, haywire. Yeah, yeah. You know, another thing I, I'd love to come back to that you mentioned early on when introducing Brookfield um, and sort of how that's affected, you know, the more traditional Newland master plan. And, and you touched on um, build for rent as a, a new product type for, for Newland communities typically. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that might be um, really helping to address attainability? Well, I mean, I think that that segment has now, uh, you know, it's probably a decade old uh, or more, actually. So I would just say, you know, our projects are 10, 15, 20 year lead times. Uh, many of them were conceived at a time when, you know, rental opportunities within a suburban master plan were not really the priority um, and certainly not build for rent. Um, you know, we, you know, that just wasn't our, our mentality. I'd say as a company, we've been studying the growth in the industry 
and you know we become comfortable with it as an as a product segment that expands you know choices to the people that are coming to our communities uh, certainly well accepted in the market there's a much you know there's a variety of product type out there now yeah. some of which works well in a master plan community um, you know a little bit more of a focus on architecture and uh, fitting into you know maybe a more single family type community um, and so we've developed our first one at Nexton in Charleston, and we have another one in Houston coming along. And those are projects, uh, the Houston one we'll develop ourselves. Mm-hmm. We work with a guest partner at Nexton, and we're exploring a number of other ones around the country. Um, I'd say we're focused more on um, the single family home or townhome type development, not the maybe vertical apartment that you saw in maybe the Phoenix area initially. Um, and then the suburban rental, you know, where it makes sense, we're also doing rental product. Um, that's another thing, just like I mentioned, 55 plus, you know, a lot of our communities just even four or five years ago didn't have any rental product. Right. And so I think I'd say we're not, you know, where the opportunity, we believe the opportunity exists in our master, in our master plans and what we control, mm-hmm. we're going to be the builder of that. Um, but because, you know, we, we think people want rental options. Um people a lot, you know, at all age stages now um, and income stages, uh, consumers seem to be more willing, more uh, open to renting um, or not owning their experience, not owning their car, not owning their, you know, whatever. Um, And so I think that rental housing options at all, you know, stages and price points um, are something that we want to start building into our communities. Yeah. And I think the people that live in the communities now, are perhaps more receptive to the idea as well. I'd say the receptivity, it's more, they're more receptive if we kind of build it into a long-term vision for where we're going. It's it's harder to change when you sold everybody on something else. And (laughs) we've had, we've had that experience as well, but uh, I'd say that, you know, we're building it into kind of like the, the product tools that we might do in a community over time. So I think we'll, we'll see that going forward. That's great. So let's um, shift gears a little bit, Peter. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and and have you share a little bit more about yourself. You've had a fascinating career. Um, Like you said, you've touched many different parts of this industry and, you know, sort of your fascination with the consumer in residential real estate is, I mean, you're certainly so well regarded for that position. What what inspires you? Where do you go? to keep yourself really current and feeling like you're firing on all cylinders? Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a great reader and listener now. Um, I, am, uh, I, I would say I probably read more general fiction, history, things like that than I do business books. I, mm-hmm. I have a lot, there's a lot of wonderful colleagues in our industry who are always posting all the books they read. I, I wish I, I wish I could do that, although I, I do that as well. Um, I love to listen to, to podcasts. Um, I love to kind of focus, I, I consider myself kind of a connector mm-hmm. um, of trends to what we're doing. And so I'm really widely, I, I would just say I'm, I'm widely reading and listening. Um, and, you know, particularly to trends outside the industry. Um, you know, like this morning, I was reading a really interesting article, uh, somebody at the Four Seasons talking about uh, just wellness and how they're bringing wellness into their hotel projects. And they also use that term serving, which we've all heard so much. They are liking, you know, their hotels to be in environments that are serving. 
-hmm. you know, I think we all like that. And so, you know, I think we learn from other industries. I think we, um, I, I, I try and stay focused on like what the next generation is doing. Well, fortunately I have a 20 year old daughter in college, so I'm, I'm have a little bit of an insight into Gen Z and, uh, I'll certainly be watching what she does as she gets into the working and uh, living worlds on her own. That's great. Uh, speaking of your 20 year old daughter, um, another question I love to get individuals perspective on is what advice would you give the 20, 25 year old Peter today, you know, with the experience that you have and the exposure that you've cultivated, there's a young professional interested in our industry. What advice would you give to that person? You know, I think our industry is a great um, one for uh, somebody who has diverse interests. I did not, I could not have foreseen that I would have gotten into this career when I was going to college. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I actually am a lawyer. I did go to law school, but I don't, I don't practice law. Um, I took the bar and I realized that I was done with for that. But I think through school, I thought I would have a fairly traditional path. But as I said, I, I always loved architecture. That experience with the city of Pasadena really opened my mind. And then I had, I saw the opportunity to work for, you know, um, RCO Co as right out of school and learn the really, I think the way it was pitched to me, a liberal arts student, mm -hmm. is that you're going to learn about a lot of different things and you're going to see, see which direction you go in. You know, you might work on residential projects or industrial projects. And, you know, I kind of focused always on, on residential, urban, mixed use master plan. And I kind of have followed that in my career. So I, I guess that's a long way of saying that I think you have to be open to where your experiences take you and your interests. Mm -hmm. um, I tried a couple of different things. I worked in consulting for a long time. There are real benefits to consulting because, you know, there's something new every day. And, you know, I just had so much client experience. There's also something to be said for, you know, being in-house and working for a land developer or a home builder, you know, because we get to go deep on projects. Um, I, may, I might not get quite the same variety or I, or worldview of things. I'm more focused on the Brookfield view or the Newland view, but um, I, I I still feel like, you know, with given the breadth of what we're doing across the country, that that's a really exciting place to be. And, you know, it, it speaks, as I said, I, I was a liberal arts major. I went to liberal arts college. Like I like variety. I like lots of different, um, you know, learning opportunities. And I think this career really can do that. If you want to go in the, in the, you know, in a business direction, that's available. If you want to go into marketing and sales, that's available. I think we have a real <laughs> interesting opportunity in just how we build our homes. Yeah. So if you're somebody who's interested in technology and, and um, you know, operations, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of um, innovation happening in how we build homes, how we build communities, how we, how we account for sustainability and all of that. So just, I think it just is a really, it's a great career with lots of different paths for young people to follow if they want to explore. That's really, that's really helpful. Um, one thing that I will just add to that is your generosity with your knowledge, your insights. I see your posts on LinkedIn and I always pause because I know it's either going to have a really great point of view on something or a link to a great article that I should be reading. Um, can you share with us in closing how we can uh, keep current with you? You know, do you have social channels or 
ways that people can continue to follow you and your work? Absolutely. I, I would say I was an early adopter of social media, so you can follow me on Twitter uh, if you want. I, I always caution people sometimes around around uh, elections, I sometimes get a little political, so you're welcome to follow me there. Um, I, but I think LinkedIn is really has really been my primary thing of late. And I, I use LinkedIn, I think, to share things that I find of interest. Um, just as you said, I mean, I, I really... Um, I want to share a variety of perspectives that I find interesting. Sometimes it's about the economy. Sometimes it's about consumers. Sometimes it's about, you know, just an off-ball, you know, planning thing that I think is, is of interest. So I'm using it to kind of share um, what I'm reading and learning. And I think that's a really great tool. Perfect. And we'll put um, a link to your profile in the show notes. Um, and I would encourage everyone to follow you because just like I said, you there's always something interesting and thought provoking in your feed. And so I, I personally find it really valuable. Oh, great. Thanks. So thank you so much. This is flown by. And I, uh, I think everyone um, would join me in saying that there's just so much good uh, knowledge in here and perspective. And thank you so much. Well, thank you, April. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alessant Innovator series. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and learn more at alessantinnovatorseries.com. Innovator